Is this all going to be on this show? No, I, I edit the hell out of it. Oh, you edit the hell out of it. Okay. Yeah. Welcome to Bring Your Own Popcorn. I'm Heather Rogue, your uh, <laughs> guest for today, introducing your host. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction, Heather. I'm your host, Nick State Majesty. And just like Heather said, this is Bring Your Own Popcorn, where you let us preach to your choir or stroke your ire as we force our opinions into your hearing holes. I'm talking today with a famous comedian, headliner of multiple bars, coming soon in multiple definitions, even high definition, to a dive bar near you. It's Heather Rogue, fellow Capricorn. Thanks so much for coming onto the podcast, Heather. Thank you. You you really did all of the words that I put in that introduction. So I felt like the little bit of like my sarcastic tone was kind of like the tongue in cheek part, maybe extra sarcastic, actually. Oh, I was um, trying to be extra sincere. No, that's okay. Maybe that was the problem because I'm not sincere very often. And I definitely am not sincere about that introduction. But I'm here. Hello. Hello. Uh, Can we do it over again? Oh, let's (laughs) keep going. To get us started off, I want to get a picture of Heather's relationship to movies. What was the first movie you remember seeing in movie theaters? I do remember Titanic, like off the top of my head, because my mom took me to see that for my birthday one year. But I don't think that was the first one. So that's the first movie you remember seeing. What do you remember about it? Did you like it? Yeah, I liked it. I remember <laughs> that they were all going to like drown and shit. So it was like kind of <laughs> it was kind of scary. There were like some musicians and I was like, damn, that's really cool. You know, they're, they're still playing music and they're drowning. And so and then they all like fell in the water. Leonardo DiCaprio died, you know, and that was pretty sad. It was, it was a pretty epic tale. The lady dropped the jewel in the water and I was like, yeah, fuck, fucking, that, the damn old lady, you know, way, way to go. So I was, I was pretty into it. It was like romantic and cheesy and everything, but I liked it. Anyways, next question. What was the first movie that you saw in theaters without any parents or supervising adults? just trying to remember so like there were movies that honestly i saw with my parents that like they should not have let me see (laughs) yeah i asked my dad to rent chucky and then like he turned it off before much happened because he's like this movie is too scary for you (laughs) and then i went to bed and then he watched the rest of it and then the next day he was like yeah you shouldn't watch it but then i still had nightmares So it's like, you should have just let me watch the movie. (laughs) Yeah, if you're going to have nightmares either way. My imagination made it way worse than like the movie, than any of the Chucky movies turned out to actually be like, once you get past the premise of the living doll thing, you know what I mean? Like it almost would have taken the fear away, I feel like. but Yeah, how many years was it before you got to actually see it? I like 10th grade. And I think I saw a lot of movies like on the internet. So at that point, once I found the internet movies, it was like game over. And I was seeing all sorts of shit I shouldn't see. So I have a lot of memories of that too, right? Like unsupervised movie watching on the internet. But 
as far as sneaking off to a movie theater, there's nothing immediately coming to mind. I also remember I watched Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, like way younger than I probably should have and got pretty traumatized by that. But I watched that with my dad too, you know? And like, I got traumatized by Ernest Scared Stupid. So <laughs> you, know, you never know what's gonna do it, right? Like I got traumatized by the movie that we're gonna be talking about today. Oh yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure everyone did. Yes, there, it's known. It's a, the movie we'll be talking about today. It is a children's movie, but yes, it's, it's, it's known for very emotional, impactful moments. And you bring up some good points about the way that movies can be traumatizing for kids. And I think there needs to be more recognition of that in, in pop culture and in parenting, because people just assume, oh, it's just a movie. When you're a kid, it's not just a movie. It's a window into the world. Like so many of us were introduced to the concepts of things for the first time from movies. And we saw that as part of real life and it has a meaningful impact on kids, which means it's really important to consider the individual child and their reaction to the movie, because some kids won't be that scared and some kids will be traumatized forever. Absolutely. Beyond just like scary movies, it's like it shapes how you see the world. It shapes how you see yourself in the world. Like that's what they're meant to do. And that's what makes us want to watch them is the fact that we live vicariously through these characters. So we have to be able to see ourselves in them. You know, it frames our opportunities in the world and it frames our place in the world. It can have a huge impact in what we think we're capable of. In fact, you want to talk about seeing a movie without adult supervision. I do remember The Phantom Menace, and I saw that for like a birthday party. So it was with a bunch of other kids, you know, and that was when that movie, I was pretty young when that movie came out, right? Like, I'm your age, so if you can remember, it was. Uh, uh, it came out in 99, I believe. Yeah, so that, right? So um, like 11 or 12 or whatever, you watch those kinds of movies and you walk away feeling like inspired to go and like accomplish things because like the heroes are able to overcome all their challenges right it can have um, an inspirational effect on you as well so they can be very positive in that way you know especially if you watch characters go through something that you've been through like a lot of times i watch movies for therapy so it's like i can't even tolerate something that doesn't feel like it like I can relate it analogously, you know, to my life in some way in order to feel like I can maybe gain some insight from it. You know what I mean? Anyways, next question. Yeah, you kind of you kind of touched on the next question already, which is just getting further at your relationship with movies. Do you consider yourself a casual watcher, a hobbyist? Do you feel like movies change your life or are they just entertainment? Yeah, movies can have a profoundly deep impact. I'd say definitely movies have changed my life, especially because I'd like to make movies and I've always wanted to. So part of it is like it's inspired me to be a storyteller myself. And part of it is also just like I've definitely had movies that changed the way that I, you know, think about the world. Tell me one of your favorite movies of all time and why is it one of your favorite movies? Well, I was just thinking about Metropolis, actually. It just came to oh. my mind. 
but not the original like from the 20s but the cartoon oh okay i've only seen the original from the 20s and i have read the manga but i have not seen the animated feature oh i love it so much it's it's a great story um and uh yeah it, i just remember the way it ends was like it has like a like a like a blues song playing it goes like i can't stop loving you <laughs> tell me why it's one of your favorites well it's like a good it's a good story about robots and people and like what is what is a person and like who deserves love you know it's a good story about love but it's like i mean kind of subversive story i guess it's unique and there's a word that i'm looking for like unconventional love story i guess is what i'm trying to say and it's also like a story about kind of like sad and tragic it's like there's something tragic and, and just like inevitable and hopeless but then there's also something very human and hopeful that kind of like continues anyways you know what i mean so it's like you see that it's a good love story uh shut up um <laughs> And it's also about the hubris of man and capitalism. Anyways. Nice. Uh, yeah, there we go. Like that came to my mind. Ooh, let's say I'll, I'll name drop the fountain and um, the Truman show. Are there any common themes between those three movies that you mentioned that you feel like there's reasons that you're drawn to those kinds of stories? No. Um, cool. Actually, yeah, they're all about love, but in the face of like death or hopelessness or just like, ooh, another one of example of that would be like What Dreams May Come with Robin Williams name yes. drop, <laughs> um, where it's like also a love story that like, yeah, is unconventional and in a different world. And another one of those is like Jupiter Ascending, but that's not one of my favorites. <laughs> So love stories. So you're drawn to stories about love that aren't romance. Like they're not romance genre, but they're still about love. But they're like fantasy or sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. So the movie that we're going to talk about today that Heather has chosen for our main subject of discussion is a fantasy film from 1984, rated PG, intended for children. It was co-written and directed by Wolfgang Peterson who was a German filmmaker. This was his first English language film. Before he made this fantasy film in 1984, he made three German films, a psychological thriller called One or the Other of Us, a German film adaptation of an autobiographical book that the author called a homosexual love story called The Consequence, and a little number some of you may have heard of called Das Boot, a movie about Nazis on a submarine during World War II. At the time that this movie that we're talking about was released, it was the most expensive film produced outside the United States or the Soviet Union, probably because it had a lot of really cool special effects and puppetry and animatronics. So the movie that we are talking about is The Never-Ending Story. Heather, tell me a little bit about why you chose this movie. Why is it meaningful to you? Well, I think it was the first time that I ever um, dealt with real disappointment because <laughs> it ended. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right it's off the bat. False advertising. 
right off the bat it broke its promise as soon as the credits rolled i was like what is this before we get into it please give us a brief summary of the movie the plot in your own words basically this is gonna be great (laughs) it starts with who does the music for this again who does the score I feel like we have to start there. So the main song that plays over the beginning and is like the most famous song is by Lamal. But they didn't do like the whole soundtrack. Well, that is the introduction that you have to remember playing over like clouds. (laughs) And then, then, um, yeah, exactly. Keep going. Um, Right. And thusly it goes. Sebastian wakes up and he dreamt about his mom. This is going to be a long, I'm doing a long summary. Let me make it shorter than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But Sebastian's a kid who's getting bullied and he, his mom is dead and he um, reads a lot, but he, he's running away from these bullies and he ends up in this bookstore with this like really judgmental uh, booksellers. Like get out of here. I hate kids. And the guy's like, you know, you wouldn't like this place. It's full of these rectangular things called books. Kids hate this. They want to go back to your beep boop, beep boops, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 Sebastian's like name dropping all these books. And so the guy's like, okay, I get it. I get it. You like to read, but you wouldn't like this book. It's the never ending story. This book will fuck you up, kid. Like this book will change your life. And, and I realize now why is because the never ending story is what happens to you when you grow up and go to work. At the time, I didn't get it. There were so many warning signs in this movie that I wish I could have like seen, you know, yeah. but we'll get into it. So Sebastian steals the fucking book because the guy piqued his interest, you know, by telling him he didn't want it. Right. It was like a little reverse psychology. And then the guy laughs like he smiles as the kid runs away with the stolen book, which is kind of fucked up, you know. He starts reading the book and and we open to Fantasia, which is where our story within the story takes place. You know, kind of the house of leave shit going on, but for kids. And the Empress is sick. And the dude, the representative, I guess, of the Empress tells them that they need a hero from the Plains people, a warrior named Atreyu. Basically, he's trying to find a cure for the Empress. He uh, searches for the through the desert of shattered hopes and through the swamps of sadness. Like a lot of things in Fantasia are named in a very like sad way. And then this the scene happens, which, you know, is is what like a lot of times I'll talk to people about this movie and they'll be like, you know, you remember never ending story. And they'll be like, all I remember about that is when the horse uh, drowned in the swamp. Yes, and that's Artax. Like, that's all that they can remember is when Atreyu's horse Artax drowns in the swamp. And like the last time I watched it again, I didn't cry at that time. But then I bawled my eyes out at the end of the movie last time I rewatched it. The- What's the sort of like overarching story? What's the driving plot? Well, the nothing is the shit that's like eating up the whole world. And they're hoping the Empress can save them from it. And so they're hoping that Atreyu can find a cure for the Empress so that she'll stop the nothing. And ultimately, he finds out that the cure is to give her a new name. Then they realize that Sebastian is actually interacting with the story 
and he needs to be the one to give her a new name. And then he starts to be like, me? No, it can't be me. And then finally he overcomes his self-doubt and says her name, which I don't know what he says because he kind of just screams something out the window. (laughs) And And then like a single grain of sand is all of Fantasia that survives because he's such a little bitch and he took so long to like make up a new name for the Empress. Well, he said it was going to be his mom's name because he was like, my mom had a beautiful name. Yeah, that's right. But what was his mom's name again? I don't think. Did they mention it? Um, Well, the name they end up giving her is Moonchild, which can't have been his mom's name. No, that's a terrible name. It is. Moonchild? Yeah. What kind of fucking hippie? (laughs) So Moonchild says to him, All that survives of Fantasia is a single grain of sand. And Sebastian's like, damn, well, oops, sorry, I didn't, you know, what do I do now? And and she's like, she's like, you just got to fucking imagine shit. And so the first thing he imagines is climbing on top of his fucking um, white dragon dude. uh, Falcor. Falcor, who is very questionable, by the way. Um, <laughs> he I opens by saying, I like children. <laughs> I love children. <laughs> I did not realize how questionable he was when I first saw this movie. I think they put that in there as a direct opposite to the bookstore guy whose first line was, I don't like children. So they're just trying to show you like, oh, this is the fantasy world where, you know, the adults are nice and dragons. <laughs> Yeah, fine. But I definitely like the dragon like helped him into new clothes and everything while he was asleep. Like it was just questionable. But fine, Falcor, whatever. I'll give you a pass. But so the first thing he does when he reimagines when he decides to like imagine things is he imagines him Falcor back in the real world, just wrecking these bullies. Hell yeah. Beating them up in the beginning. He just like mercs on these bullies. And that is the end. And then it goes back to the, the song. Turn around, Turn around and look at what you see. Turn around and look at what you see. So deep. I mean, yeah. I just did it. Look at what you see. <laughs> That's difficult, actually, to break it down. <laughs> Do you remember how old you were when you first saw the movie and what your response was when you first saw it? No. Well, yes, I do remember my response when I first saw it. I was pretty young. Like, it came out in, like, 1984, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, this was, like, one of the first movies that I was, like, really into. Like, I remember, so there's, like, a scene where he's got to, like, dodge some, like, laser eyes that are gonna zap him yeah you know what I mean and like I remember when I was a kid I used to imagine that I had to like run down a hallway and jump just like he did to like avoid the laser eyes zapping me and so like you know definitely inspired a lot of game acrobatics a lot of a lot of childhood acrobatics right (laughs) and I also remember seeing the the empress empress moonchild yeah um, was like the first time that I felt different 
but I didn't know what it was at the time, but it was like vaguely different. And now I look back and I was like, holy shit, there's a whole trans allegory because he had to give the Empress a new name, which is something that trans people do. And I really wish that, yeah, I'd figured shit out sooner. But I saw it when I was like so young. I just remember that I definitely felt different when I looked at the Empress. Moonchild is a weird name. So, (laughs) yes, the name that Bastion chose. This podcast is sponsored by Podbean. Podbean is the easiest way to create your own podcast. We use Podbean to host Bring Your Own Popcorn. Download the free Podbean podcast app to start, record, and publish your very own podcast in minutes. Podbean provides everything you need to run your podcast. You can record and publish episodes directly from the app on your phone. Download the free Podbean app today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Head on over to Podbean at www.podbean.com and use the code PODCAST21 for your first 30 days of podcast hosting for free. Check it out. Hi, my name is Milk Surface, and I'm one of the hosts of Nymphomercial, a hentai podcast. I'm also the producer of Radio Flom, but I'm just stopping by really quick because your host, Mixtape, wanted to give you a break from listening to her voice for a minute. Coming up next, though, is yet another ad featuring Mixtape's voice for her other podcast. That's right, she's on another one. You should definitely go listen to it, whatever it is, although I know. I know it's good. Also, listen to Nymphomercial, if you know what's good for you. Sorry, Mixtape actually held me at Slingshot Point to say that specifically. But anyways, remember, bring your own popcorn. I'm Aubrey. I'm Dennis. And I'm Johnny. Every other Tuesday, we take an in-depth and humorous look at different comic books. We're talking indie comics. Capes and cows. And everything in between. Graphic Novel Explorers Club is available on all platforms. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends, you nerd. (laughs) Turn around. (laughs) And welcome back to the meeting. (laughs) See, but that makes more sense than looking at what you see. Yeah. Ruin this movie for me. I like I ruined it for myself rewatching again and seeing Falcor's questionable behavior. Mm-hmm. But then you're you're turning around and telling me that the Empress's name is Moonchild. I mean, it's in the movie. <laughs> and then also like looking way too critically at the at the you know amazing lyrics. What do you of- mean critical? I think it's great. Look at what you see. That's like so deep. The dust no way changed my life. <sighs> anyway. I, love, I love that song. It's a great song. I know most of the lyrics. Even before Stranger Things apparently made it popular again. Did it? Apparently. I remember there being a scene of the song in Stranger Things season three, but it like didn't really stand out to me. But apparently oh, it, it made like Gen Z be like, oh, this song bops. What is Stranger Things? Oh, it's this Netflix original series that takes place in the 80s about kids and supernatural shit happening. Okay, sounds great. Anyways. Pretty good. Turn around. And look at, and what, look you at what you see. In her face, the mirror of your dreams. Like the mirror of your dreams. That's like. That, no, that is really deep. 
that yeah. could mean anything which is pretty deep I mean it does feel like it's about the movie like because it says in her face like the childlike empress right the mirror of your dreams it might be about Falcor. you think so look at what you see yeah. Falcor. yeah turn around Giorgio Moroder <laughs> wrote the music and it was performed by Lamal so it was explicitly written for this movie okay nice talking about the meaningfulness of this story and the way that there is just so many allegories like every fantastical creature feels allegorical you were saying the names of the places like the swamps of sadness is like it's like depression like this movie is just full of allegories and some people have said that it feels like a trans allegory and I would have to agree with uh that perception what what are your thoughts on that because like that's just something that I thought of the very last time I watched it a few months ago which just happened to me because it's like free on YouTube but then I remembered like how big of an impact it had when I was a kid you know but it was like lost on me back then Mm-hmm. But then rewatching it now, just thinking like, to me, as a kid, it hit on a level of just like the childlike empress was like very beautiful. And I was just like jealous, you know what I mean? And that kind of was a weird feeling for me to to deal with. I, it didn't strike me that she needed a new name meant anything to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then looking back, it you know, it means a lot. And like, I kind of wish that I could have picked up on that um, at a younger age. But also, I don't think, I don't know, um, I would have needed a much more in-depth education on like transgender people before I would have been able to make a better decision, like um, to transition sooner. But a lot of times I, I like regret transitioning later in my life you know what I mean and so a lot of times I do wish that you know when I see movies like this where it's like oh there's a trans allegory it's like I wish that like I could have recognized that you know at a younger age when I originally saw it right right and it's like what we were saying earlier about wanting to see ourselves in movies and up until recently everything's had to be allegories like even the matrix you couldn't be explicit about it and you weren't allowed to see yourself in movies. And so they had to do this like sort of roundabout way about it, which made it difficult as kids to, to recognize the, the sort of true meaning behind it, because there's no community you can turn to. You're just trying to decipher metaphors as a child and figure out like, why does this make me feel this certain way? Exactly. Which is too, it's too difficult. You can't do that to kids. We need better education. Yeah. It took me a long time before I saw myself in a movie, like as a trans person, because like even movies that had trans people in them, they weren't represented in a way that I could see myself, you know, in, in those shoes. They were like often represented in a very negative way or just like it wasn't presented that this was something you could you know transition into so yeah even the matrix has a trans allegory it's like how is any trans person supposed to pick up on that in a meaningful way you can actually go and order some red pills you know and like it's not presented enough in a way to I guess to give young people the information they need to kind of like help them find themselves you know what I mean but It's definitely there to look at when we're older 
and then we can see it and be like oh those swamps of sadness that's like mondays okay <laughs> get it <laughs> yeah garfield's also an allegory <laughs> i think it has its place because like you said you can't introduce all of that to children and expect them to understand what's going on but I think it's important to have these stories that just kind of explore your feelings just a little bit and give you just some ideas to think about. The thing that we're really missing is the community and the society, societal support and the broader representation. Like there should be movies that as kids age, they can watch those ones, you know, once they're older and can explore the ideas more and, you know, get a, a better sense of what that means to them. But that's the shitty part is there's just this. There's just these vague allegorical stories. Of course, it's getting better now, but we still need more. It's getting better now. And these kids don't understand how good they have it. I, swear I know. <laughs> it's awful. So that's uh, true. I wouldn't want Fantasia to like have like a 10 minute sex education interlude. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, definitely like thinking about it. It would have been nice if there was more education. Tell me more. Earlier you said that the never ending story, the title of it and like the sort of concept was about eventually growing up and having to go to work. Tell me more about that. Oh, well, I was just thinking because there's kind of a connection to absurdity and the myth of Sisyphus, an essay by Albert Camus. Uh, Al- Al- Albert Camus, I-, I guess you can say it in a French way. The the myth of Sisyphus is, you know, the guy who dilly-dallied about for a while, but then, you know, the gods sentenced him to roll a boulder up a hill for all of eternity. And when he would make it to the top, it would it would get heavy and fall back again, and he would have to start over for uh, forever. It would never end. And that's, like, life, because you have to, like, like shits, there's always shit to do. You're never done. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like a never ending story of like, get up, go to work, pay your bills. And then you have more bills ne- next month. You just, you just got to keep doing that. It's interesting to think about the bookstore owner who's saying like, yeah, those books you're reading are safe because you read those books. <laughs> and then once you're done reading the book, you know, you can go back to being a little boy, but you read this book and it'll change you and, you know, you'll, you'll be different, you know, and it's like, oh, that book's like growing up, you know? Yeah. And it's like, or you're watching and, and just also thinking about the beginning of the movie when the father is telling him, you know, to stop daydreaming, but to focus on the business ahead, right? And like to focus on, you know, actually accomplishing real things, which is also basically telling them to grow up and face the real world. Yeah. And stop daydreaming. And then you go to Fantasia and all of Fantasia is being devoured by the nothing. And they explicitly say by the end of it that it's because kids aren't daydreaming anymore. They're not using their imaginations anymore. Imagination land is essentially evaporating. And uh, that's why the Empress is sick. If they're all like forgetting their inner child, their inner child is all dying, you know. Sebastian saying saying the Empress's new name is like connected to him, like remembering, you know, his mother. 
which is also connected to him remembering to 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 dream right the, the moral of the story is don't grow up <laughs> and then the movie ends and then you have to grow up or and, does it and it does and that's the biggest lie of all and then like <laughs> i tried to watch the sequels and it does the dust there's not the same the actors aren't the same it's not yeah. like it really felt like a different you know it just didn't feel like a continuation of that story so i was like this i'm i'm, I'm robbed you know? yeah I'm well, the sequels, i mean the sequels yeah they're not great but i also don't even see them as continuations because I, I think everything you said is is like true and accurate but also my interpretation of like the never-ending story aspect of it for me is just that as long as someone tells the story it, it always goes on because it's built in that if you read this book if you watch this movie you're part of it you become part of it which means that you're continuing the story and then when you tell people about it you're continuing the story and it can never really end as long as someone knows about it it explicitly says that too i believe near the end right like they say that be, like actually just as you know you're reading this story millions of other children are watching your story you yeah. know <laughs> and and so and then they'll continue making stories and so it'll keep going forever but i like my interpretation which is that i think sebastian is a robot and <laughs> I mean, but but we never get to know because there's no secret. But how does he know what's going to happen? And then he yells and they hear him. It's very strange, you know, so. Well, the other the other thing I like about the never ending story in terms of the transitioning allegory is it's that, too. You know, your story isn't over because someone else told you you're one thing. You can, you know, become whatever feels real to you, whatever feels right to you. and. I guess I have a question. If if it is a trans allegory, I was thinking that the allegory is about Bastion. So like Bastion is choosing a name for the Empress, but which is actually who Bastion really is. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. That's I like that for definite. Um, I didn't know exactly how to place it. I just recognized that there was like a similar thing, but I didn't flesh it out too much. But um, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, Bastion could be trans for sure. It could be, yeah, an egg. As long as Bastion is like following that path, the story never ends. Why? Because Bastion's true story would actually continue rather than just following the the set path of you're a man and you go to an office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, okay. The well, end. yeah. The story continues in my head of Bastion transitioning and being very happy. Yeah. You know, as Bella um, or Moonchild. I, Moonchild? Bella is a much better name than Moonchild. Yeah, Moon I think that's that's like the biggest flaw about the movie, I think, is what? Moonchild? What? I honestly like want to pretend that you didn't say that because this was a flaw. The movie story. said it. It's in the movie. You know, another thing I just thought about was like when I was summarizing the movie, I never once mentioned that like cat monster wolf dog thing that chases them with the green eyes. 
Yeah, I always forget that thing too. Yeah, I really didn't even need to mention its existence at all. It's so pointless. Yeah. I think as a kid, I really liked, I, I liked it. It added tension. It's like, oh, they're being chased. So, okay, I'll give it that. What effect does the monster have on the plot? No, no effect. It's okay. so pointless. Yeah. It's like about to get him and then Falcor rescues him from the monster. It must be an allegory for something. And that's why yeah. I don't know what it is. So that's Maybe why it's sort of like, cat. why was that there? Maybe it's a turf, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's like coming to, you know, and be like, you'll never be a real woman, you know? Yeah, but ultimately so, it's not important. You just fly away from it. It's just like concerned about women's safety. It's coming to share its concerns and demands a voice. And yeah, you just leave it alone and get on your magic dragon. Hell yeah. And it's like very great world building, you know, with the mm-hmm. whole, like the whole way it opens up with the whole stone monster rolling in and talking about you know and there, it's just like a bunch of weird fantasy creatures by a campfire like who doesn't want to fucking like hang out in fantasia yeah the world building is amazing and all of the puppets and animatronics and everything looks so cool like i love falcor's design such a cute dog dragon thing he's like really one of a kind right like very iconic little dude also, Morla, the turtle, the ancient turtle, is goals. Go- goals? Transition goals? Just like age goals? Elderly goals? Just her attitude of just like, who cares? Yeah. They're, <laughs> Nothing their I attitude. do matters. Yeah. <laughs> I, we don't even care whether or not we care. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good line. <laughs> I mean, that def- that's definitely an allegory for, you know, people who just, like, give up and just are completely detached from everything. Yeah, which is tempting. It's mm-hmm. a tempting place to be. To just go into your shell and sleep. I mean, that's kind of, yeah, but I, I mean, I, you can't be hiding under a good shell. <laughs> you know, people can get annoying. They make chewing noises, you know. True. So this is based on a book called The Same Thing. And I was trying to see if the Empress had a different name in the book. Just found it. Yes, her name was also Moonchild in the book. What the hell, man? Gross. So they took it from the book. You know, if you're going to adapt one thing and make a change, it could have been that. Like, yeah, Not to mention, I assume, isn't she going to grow up? It's, so her name as an adult is going to be Moonchild? Or does she not grow like up? An- as like an 800 oh but it's a childlike empress so maybe oh, actually just hella old she already isn't a child but she's being yeah. named the word child just a weird choice it's absolutely a weird choice she's a child of the moon like she came out of the moon's vagina mm. which is like really how you know the moon is a biological woman because she births the childlike empress Right, only a woman can do that. Are you are you embodying the turf wolf? I am. That was a, I tricked you. It's been me the whole time. Good, 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 good. I'm gonna get on my dragon and fly away. Ha ha. Having rewatched it as an adult, what what are your feelings overall on the movie? More positive, more negative, and if you had to rate it out of ten popcorn buckets, ten being one of your favorite movies of all time, what rating would you give it? It was kind of like like a movie that I loved as a kid when I was like really, really young, but it was never 
feel like a big like favorite movie of all time kind of thing you know like I never yeah. thought of it that way until I rewatched it and realized how formative it was I'd say it's like a great movie but it's more like I picked it because it's just like really impactful on you know my imagination as a kid like it was very inspiring Moonchild definitely brought it down I think it's important to note that movies can be really formative and have this huge impact on you without necessarily being a great movie. And I think that's one of the great things about movies is it doesn't have to be this like flawless piece of film and art in order to have a meaningful impact on people's lives. Yeah, and Fantasia certainly is not a perfect movie at all. But it's not like a bad movie. It still holds up like as a movie. You can still sit down and watch it and be like, okay, sure, you know. Like it's still, even as an adult, pretty cool. And like probably easier to watch as an adult because kids have CGI and shit. And the timing is very, is still pretty 80s. You know what I mean? So it's like probably harder to watch as a kid than ever before. Still a pretty good movie. Solid seven uh, protractors. Seven protractors. Got it. Seven, seven grains of pink salt. <laughs> I think I would give it a little bit higher, like eight. Eight grains of Fantasia sand, eight popcorn buckets. Oh, I'd give it, oh, well, popcorn buckets, yeah, I'd give it, I'd give it seven and a half popcorn buckets, because it deserves that, it's not like, you know, there's like such bad movies out, and like, it gets points for being a classic, it almost gets, I think for classic points, it probably does get eight popcorn buckets, or maybe like a small candy bar, you know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) I like that there's people of color in this movie, which especially for the 80s was pretty hard to find. And the people of color in this movie are just there. They just are characters in the film. They just happen to be people of color. And so many movies in the 80s, you just cast everyone as white. If you're going to make someone not white, then they have to be the comedic relief or they have to fall into these specific roles. And this movie, it's not. It's not like that. They're just regular people, (laughs) which is meaningful to me and was meaningful to me as a kid, too, as a brown child watching it. And overall, rewatching it today, what I really like about it is that it feels like it was written by a child, which sounds like an insult. But when you are a child, that's actually really good (laughs) because you want to really connect with kids on that level of it's just very fantastical. It kind of jumps around a bit in a way that I remember doing as a kid, like playing with my toys and making up stories, jumping around and stuff doesn't really make sense. And and yes, as a kid, when you named your toys or gave a name to a character, y- you had terrible names. Like I know I named some characters in my head, just really stupid shit. Maybe not as bad as Moonchild, but pretty bad. Definitely Moonchild's a bad name. Falcor is a pretty, it's, it's, it's decent, you know. Oh, that's a great but name. I love Falcor. It's definitely a good movie for kids do you think the nothing is an allegory for giving up on everything or do you think it's an allegory for like adult life or maybe those go hand in hand climate change climate change i guess we did know about it back then we've known about it for a long time it definitely feels like an allegory for climate change now and just for the doom of everything And it definitely felt like when I watched it, just like the end of the world, you know, I don't think I thought of it deeper than that as a kid. As a kid, I saw everything very face value. Like this is a rock monster. 
you know <laughs> these this is a swamp that's killing a, a horse you know as a kid I saw the nothing as death which was kind of ironic because as a kid I was raised Christian and so I had it beaten into me that as long as you believe in the one true Christian God you will live forever in heaven but I there was definitely some pushback for me because I knew not everyone believed that so it was like well you believe this and then someone else believes this why am I believing one person over the other because some people say that when you die nothing happens and so I saw that as the nothing yeah and I wanted to help them because I was very scared of dying and like so I clung to religion harder than anyone in my family in my immediate family at first just because I was like worried about dying and I don't know if it was this movie though or if it was Ernest Scared Stupid but like that shit happened to me very young too and then I wanted to go to heaven so I, I figured that out how to do that based off of like what you know kind of was available at the time you know the information that I had at the time told me you just gotta believe in Jesus so I did that but then other people didn't and I was like damn but then they're gonna go to hell so I tried to help them and then they were like don't be an asshole and I was like you're right being an asshole so but then like yeah eventually I gave up on religion too and just had to become a Scientologist you being sincere yes (laughs) the one true religion (laughs) we're kind of touching on like the whole reason religion was invented i think was fear of death and trying to explain that yeah probably upon rewatching it because i have seen it a couple times as an adult most recently i watched most of it today but i don't see the nothing as death anymore I, i think it's a a different sort of metaphor at least to me you know it's everyone's interpretation. The death of imagination, the death of hope. What do you think it is now? I think it is giving up. I think like Morla is sort of a a servant of that attitude of giving up on hope, giving up on fantasy, giving up on the idea that things can be better, that you can change. It's just succumbing to the path that you've been told to take and not questioning or living out the life that you could have or want to have. Damn. That's pretty deep. And yeah, I'm just saying, turn around and look at what you see. I'm trying, but the nothing is coming, you know, but the nothing is like dread to me. Like it always feels like dread, yeah. but the swamps of sadness definitely feel like giving up. And then there's the desert of hopelessness or the desert of shattered hopes. That's what it is. I feel like I've been through all of these places in the last year, but nothing the swamps of sadness and you expect like magical fairies and stuff and then it's full of places like the swamps of sadness and the deserts of shattered hopes yeah i know exactly that's what i was thinking like what weird names this is like what this is imagination land of the 80s i mean i think it goes to show that basically this fantasia thing is is just a human psyche it's not just human imagination it's the whole thing it's kind of interesting it kind of reminds me of the princess bride where like all the places are given these like over the top fantasy names you know what I mean yeah yeah interesting that you bring that up because one of my favorite things about this movie as a kid that I just found to be such an interesting and intriguing storytelling device is having the story within the story so having a child 
who is reading books, which is something that I did a lot. I was a child who read a lot of books and would disappear into the books. And then another movie that did that was The Princess Bride. But Never Ending Story did actually come first, which makes me think that Princess Bride got the idea from Never Ending Story. Is Princess Bride based on a book as well? Yes, it is. So Never Ending Story, the book is just like the movie. Like it's about a child reading a book. Princess Bride is just the story of the like the story that the kid is reading in that movie. The book is just that. It doesn't have a kid. What a ripoff. See? Wow. Everyone remembers Princess Bride. No one talks about Fantasia anymore. (laughs) So overall, do you think people should watch this movie in 2022? I don't think anyone should not watch the movie. A ringing endorsement. I agree. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast and talking to me about this movie that is meaningful to you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on your podcast. (laughs) Going eight years strong. Hell yeah. This has been Heather Rogue. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I've been your guest. I'll let you do the outro. (laughs) Thank you for the introduction to my outro. Heather, where can people find you on the internet or watch videos of you or anything fun like that? I'd prefer if you um, watched me on where you find me, which is at Heather underscore comedy underscore rogue is my Instagram. Facebook is, uh, I, I, I do that one. Um, you know, you can find me on YouTube, Heather, just look for Heather Rogue, yahoo.com, search, you know, just look up Heather Rogue. Um, you might find some good sweaters in the Heather color. And that's about it. Uh, I don't know. Um, I do, you know, that's great. Good job everyone wonderful thank you so much for being on mm-hmm.